So good morning, everybody. It's great to see so many people here at Holy Mass as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. Um, for those who know me, they know that I do and always have liked movies, films, cinema. But another thing um, that maybe people don't know is not only do I enjoy watching movies, I've always enjoyed studying and learning about the box office. When I was a kid, this shows you I was a nerd, I would read Variety magazine to be able to see all the movies and how much money they made. And so I still do pay attention to the box office. And so earlier this year, I was looking at the box office from last year, the top 10 to 12 movies. And I noticed something a little bit strange I'd never seen before. Most of the movies, as you might imagine, were Disney and Star Wars and superhero, but there were three in there, at least in my opinion, would consider outliers. They were in the top 12. Joker, which is not a superhero film. The second part of It, which is not a fun clown film. And also Us, by the guy who did Get Out. Now, these are all rated R. I do not suggest you letting kids watch these movies. I thought it's strange. These movies are pretty grim and pretty dark. Why are they, were they so popular? So I began to think, what do they have in common? And I realized that they all had something in common with the film, a lot of you may not have seen, called Parasite, a South Korean film that actually won Best Picture, another rated R film. And all four of these movies, what they have in common is that there are people who live underground. Now, in it, it's a clown that lives underground that symbolizes fear, so we're not going to really consider that. But all of them, they're people who live underground, who are not seen, who are not respected, many of them poor and marginalized, victims of injustice. And without giving away the plots in the film, they all, in their own way, rise up. They come from underground in order to instill violence, chaos, anarchy, revenge, revolution, to overthrow the current order specifically to overthrow the rich and powerful. And so I began thinking earlier this year, you know, why is this theme there? How art imitates life. Over the course of the past several months, I realized that it is now life imitating art. Uh, looking at the current events, that these films seem to be prescient of what we've been experiencing over the course of the past several months. Again, this begins the reactions to police shootings. And it starts with peaceful protests, and then often it can devolve into rioting and to looting and to violence. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, but a lot of the times behind this are organizations that organize with very deep Marxist, anarchist roots. They want to foment revolution and upset the current order. This is what's been going on in Portland for the past three months. And then you can see in other places references to the guillotine, to the reign of terror, to the French Revolution. If you know anything about that, if you start referencing that, it is very, very disturbing. But this push against the order is not new. You can see it in Occupy Wall Street, the women's resistance. It's a class struggle for these individuals who have an agenda. It is redefined in broader terms, more in economic terms or in other areas. Now it seems to be, instead of, it's focused on other terms instead of economic terms as in a traditional Marxist way of looking at things. But now it's a focus on racial issues. 
But the message is still the same. America is rotten to the core, and we need to burn it down. We need to burn it down. Now, so as a result, if you know the backgrounds of these Marxist organizations and their machinations, it's very easy for many to dismiss, to delegitimize. But what I want to do is try to pull back the agenda, pull back the histrionics, the myopia, the violence, and the way the media distorts what is going on. And at the root of it all is a basic call for justice. Justice. For people to be treated fairly, to be seen, to be respected, to have what is their due. Now the problem is, at least in the culture, there are not a lot of distinctions made. We believe there are different forms of justice. And so those individuals who are calling for uh, justice in the police shootings, they're calling for what's called retributive justice. That is where people get what they deserve. They are punished in the way that they deserved. But there's also another type of justice, and the one that I want to talk about today, and the one that I think is the big issue here that underlies it all, is distributive justice. The justice a society owns and the owes to its people in the allocation of wealth, the resources in a society. Distributive justice can be seen as economic justice or, in the broader term, social justice. Now, I know for a lot of people today that term social justice makes people cringe, shirk back, because it brings up leftist progressive politics. But the fact of the matter is, we're Catholics here. And the Catholics have, the Catholic Church has a solid tradition of social justice teaching, dating back over a century. And we simply can't ignore it or dismiss it because in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, in Central America and South America, particularly, the Marxists hijacked it. We need to get back to the roots and understand our teaching because it's so important for us as we desire to engage in dialogue and to be able to bring some peace in our nation, our situation. We've got to be able to adhere to it and promote it. Now, I can't cover all the bases today, but I'd like to be able to address some key issues of Catholic social teaching that do apply to this distributive justice. The first is the common good. Societies and cultures and individuals shouldn't just work for our self-interest. We've got to realize that other people, we want to work for the good of all to be able to help the whole of society. Now, the problem with the common good is people today can't agree on what's good. And so there's just a lot of fighting. But it doesn't mean that it's not important. We've got to think beyond ourselves. The second one is called the preferential option for the poor. I don't hear that a lot. That in decision-making, particularly in economies and whatnot, we have to have a preferential option for the poor to recognize and see how our laws and our structures impact those who go without, and to be able to help them, particularly to lift them out of poverty. The third one is one that sort of people freak out about. It's called the universal destination of goods. And this is not communism at all. The church believes in private property, but it also believes that all the goods in the world, the resources we have, were created for everybody. God intends everyone to have access to them, not just a small amount of people. There are more, we're going to talk about it. But we Catholics, 
as we face the problems that our nation is facing, we've got to be able to know that we have something to offer. We have principles that should guide our thinking when it comes to economics and politics and social justice. So beyond that, though, I think we have got to be able to admit, beyond all ideologies, beyond all these things, that we have a problem in the United States. There is a serious problem in the United States. Why is it a country with so much wealth and so much opportunity do we have so much poverty, particularly this gap between those who are poor and those who are rich, the wealth disparity? So the issue of poor versus rich, and particularly in big cities in the South, this usually does divide itself in the category of race. It's a reality. What I want to do, focus on today, is really focus on that issue of poverty. That we have many economically, seriously economically disadvantaged communities. Most of them segregated into the poorest areas of a city or of a state. Not just in the big cities, but think of the Indian reservations for our Native American brothers and sisters. There is poverty like you cannot even begin to imagine. But the poor suffer quite often with poor housing, terrible education and lack of access to good education, limited access to capital, gross disparity of wealth, the breakdown of the family, which is probably one of the most significant things. What all this does is it leads to a lot of stress, can lead to a lot of mental illness, living in this day to day. And as a result, we see desperation and despair and that people resorting to violence. And I'm not trying to justify violence at all, but we have got to see it's poverty that leads to violence and the violence that leads to poverty. Because particularly it breaks down the family. It is a cycle that is impossible for most people to escape, particularly escape by themselves. So beyond political ideologies, beyond all this kind of stuff, we have got to realize We've got a problem. The issue is not about economics necessarily, politics or ideologies. It's about people. It's about human beings created in the image and likeness of God But the struggle. And believe me, I face that same struggle is that we often don't see it. Because in our nation, quite often, poverty is segregated into a certain area those who have often do not want to go in. It's tucked away. It's safe. We don't have to face it. And so as one person told me the other day, Father, it's an us versus them problem. And that's why that movie Us, I think, was so popular, because it is called Us for a very distinct reason. But it can't be us versus them. We're all in it together. We're all created in the image and likeness of God. We're persons with dignity. We're not a social problem. We're not a statistic. We are all created in the image and likeness of God. And so it's important for us to recognize that and to be able to do charity, to be able to go and work at soup kitchens, to be able to help the homeless, because it helps us to be able to see these individuals as persons, not just as a statistic, but a lot of the times with mental illness and struggles that we can't even imagine to be able to see them as persons. But the problem is charity doesn't address the root of the problem. 
Charity is important, we need to practice charity, but it's a band-aid. The root of the problem lies much deeper. It's political and it's economic, and this is the territory of justice. Specifically, distributive justice. Granted, we could talk retributive justice, the legal system, the police, and it needs to be addressed. But the fact of the matter is, I think these are symptoms of a much deeper problem of distributive justice. Unless we acknowledge that, things are not going to get better. And I know that there's no way that I can address all of the issues today. We could be here for two hours. Well, there's no football today, so why not? Not as entertaining as Drew Brees, I know that, and it's complicated. One of the big issues in our culture today, everybody wants to reduce all the problems to a hashtag, a post on Facebook. No, there are a lot of problems, a lot of factors that affect distributive justice in our nation. And we need to be able to look at a few of them. And the first is the most important one. Can we all admit that the great society failed? That LBJ's vision didn't work? It's been 50 years. It's destroyed the family. It's perpetuated poverty. But nobody wants to talk about it. Our current system is not sustainable. Nobody wants to discuss it. But tied to that, education, which has been proven to be the single most important thing for getting people out of poverty. Those who are born into poverty, particularly these segregated neighborhoods, don't have access to good education. They don't have access to the charter schools of these because the unions are blocking it. Go learn about that. It's a very, very powerful lobby with a lot of money. Go to opensecrets.org and see what's going on. People can't have opportunities because the unions won't allow it. And then for housing. Again, I can't, I'm trying not to reduce all these things to just sentences, but it's all I can really do. Section 8 housing, the vouchers are severely limited. You can only get Section 8 housing in poor areas dilapidated areas that simply further the problem. And there's no movement towards ownership or private property. And what makes it worse though, and we can go again over more issues, the predators swoop in. And we have predators in our nation. Probably one of the biggest, one of the payday lenders. Did you know that there are more payday lending places than McDonald's and Starbucks combined? And they are predators people who are trying to make ends meet, who don't have access to credit or capital, go to these people and end up in these exorbitant interest rates they can never get out of. Here's a sin you don't hear very often talked about, usury. Talked about it a lot. Usury is charging unjust interest rates, but they have no access to anything else. The same with the rent-to-own places. It's the same exact thing. They're always in the poorest neighborhoods. Then what about Planned Parenthood? Go study it. They put their places in the poorest neighborhoods and taking billions of dollars from people who are disadvantaged. The real thing that doesn't make any sense to me, we all know the founder of Planned Parenthood was a racist and a eugenicist, but no one wants to cancel her. No one talks about that. We've got some issues. So many more problems, I don't even know where to begin. So if I didn't mention one that you think I should have, you understand it's a big problem. The issue is that the establishment does not seem to want to change things. 
because there's too much money, there's too much power. And so what I've seen in my own life and other people's lives, people want to do charity, who want to help the poor, good Christian Catholic people, like everybody in here, just give up. Not much I can really do. I work at the soup kitchen, but I can't change the system. But I think now we can't give up. We've got to be able to move forward and as Catholics use our Catholic social teaching to be able to get involved. So another principle is called participation. Those individuals in a society have an obligation to get involved politically and socially. Vote for individuals who are going to make authentic change. Go lobby yourself. Promote truth and justice. Heck, some of you should probably run for office. We want to change things. Be the change that you want to see. Hold our government accountable. It seems, though, that the system is too broken, too much plutocracy. But we can't sit on the sideline. Particularly because we see also people who really want change tend to be the younger generation. Most of the protesters, particularly in the big cities, tend to be the younger generation. Most of them have bought into Marxist ideology. Why can't we start forming our young people in authentic, genuine Catholic social teaching so they can go and promote change because they're the future of our nation? Subsidiarity, you hear that a lot. That means something that can be taken care of on a smaller basis shouldn't be taken care of on a higher basis because what happens is that is more inefficient. It's one of the reasons I think that a lot of wealthy people and corporations don't want to pay taxes is because they know their tax money is not going to go actually help anybody. It's going to get caught up in the bureaucracy. It's going to go in some politician's pockets. Again, the wealthy do have a serious obligation. I'm not trying to dismiss it. But families, groups, NPOs, corporations, they have to change and to work and get involved. One of the things that I've seen as a result of Hurricane Laura, talk about subsidiarity. People who see the problem and are going out and helping and organizing. Well, if we can enact subsidiarity there to help people, let's do it for the bigger problem of poverty. The problem is you don't see it in the same way that you see the impact of Laura. It's too much bureaucracy. But this is where we can control things. Taking unique initiatives, and I've done some studies, some people brilliant ideas with microfinance, with education, with formation. It's wonderful. And so don't blame others. This is this person's fault. It's that person's fault or this organization's. Don't wait for change. We can begin having an impact now, locally, by taking our teaching and applying it. And then finally, solidarity. To see the poor as our brothers and sisters. Not us versus them. Not as sort of this ideal, but to get to know them, to be connected to them. All of us created in the image and likeness of God, and this is the foundation of it all. The dignity of the human person. Black, white, poor, rich, it doesn't matter. It's what we hear in the second reading. The love of neighbor. Who is our neighbor? Everyone is. We all have neighbors and we all owe them justice. And so in summation, the reason I decided to preach on this was the exact reason from the first reading. Not that y'all are wicked or that we're wicked, 
We do have, as a priest, an obligation to talk about these issues, although they may be uncomfortable, so that we can see a change. But I'm not calling, and we as Catholics cannot call for burning it down. Instead, we need a positive message to build it up, to build it up, a just and charitable society, the culture of life in Christ. Amen.